Father, I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. You alone are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. The season of Epiphany is what we're in right now, and this season is all about worship and adoration, identity and mission. Uh, There's key moments in the Epiphany season, like the visit of the Magi, the three wise men that we looked at last week, uh, the baptism of our Lord in the Jordan River, Jesus' first steps in ministry, and this season actually ends with his transfiguration, revealing his glory on the mountain. Um, These all appear in the readings and the prayers and the hymns of this season, and and there's a one-two punch in Epiphany between Uh, On the one hand, the identity, who is this Jesus? And secondly, his mission, who did he come to reach? What did he come to do? There's even a one-two punch between the identity and mission of Jesus and the identity and mission of his church, how he calls us to extend uh, and obey the commission that he has given to us. And so as I thought about Epiphany season uh, this year, I noticed something. And that's why we're going to do something that I don't think we've ever done in the history of our young church. Um, We are going to abandon the assigned lectionary readings. It's okay. We're going to have confession of sin in a little bit. We'll ask forgiveness. It'll be all right. But we're actually going to uh, do some different readings, uh, do a very brief four-week sermon series that I think is needed and timely for us and for us right now. You see, usually in the Gospels, before there's a key transition or a key next step in mission and ministry, you see a pause, a pause to make sure that everyone is on the same page. I mean, think about the baptism of Jesus before he began his earthly ministry. Everyone is gathered out at the Jordan River. They gather around John the Baptist. Uh, Jesus is mysteriously baptized. And those of us from more Baptistic traditions are like, why in the world is Jesus getting baptized? But he gets baptized uh, for us and for our salvation. And the next thing you know, um, (laughs) Luke tells us in chapter 3, the heavens open. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. A voice comes from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Similarly, In his transfiguration, Jesus goes up on the mountain with his closest disciples. While praying, he's changed. Um, His appearance is altered. And really, it's it's almost this unveiling. We see the true glory and beauty of the Lord. A cloud comes upon them, the presence of the Most High. And once again, a voice. Luke records it in chapter 9. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. You see, before these key next steps in ministry, the Gospels will pause to make sure that everyone is on the same page, to clarify the identity and mission of Jesus, reminding us of his truth, his grace, his beauty, and his glory. Now, each of those moments are sacred and unique. We find the Lord uh, and his followers in in liminal spaces, uh, uncertain transitional moments between where they have been, and where they have going. No, none more than the transfiguration. They've been doing all this ministry around Israel. You have the transfiguration, and it says Jesus set his feet to go to Jerusalem. He transitions from teaching and healing to a march to his cross and eventual 
resurrection, these liminal spaces, these transitional moments between where they have been and where they have going. It's at that moment that the Lord speaks a word of blessing, a word of confirmation, a word of clarity. And for our young church, we find ourselves in a similar um, in-between space. You see, for years, uh, this chapel, this beautiful sacred space, has been our primary gathering place for worship. I mean, even when we weren't here, because it was closed or I think we spent 70 Sundays outside and online during COVID. Even when we weren't here, this is where we weren't. Does that make sense? We weren't here um, in the day chapel. Uh, But in about two months, we are going to leave the safety and beauty of this. We'll transition to something new. And so before we do, here in Epiphany season, over the next four weeks, I just want to spend a little time looking clearly and closely at our identity and mission as a church. Uh, specifically, I want to outline uh, four core commitments that really shape um, how we are seeking to do ministry here in our city under the Lord. Um, they're listed in the bulletin, but the first is a commitment to welcome, to gospel welcome. And whether you have been here for years or this is your first Sunday uh, or somewhere in between, um, I, I hope you'll let me just indulge me to share my heart this morning. Uh, my heart uh, for our church regarding what I feel is the unique call of God upon us. And so the first value, the first commitment we'll unpack um, is welcome. Gospel hospitality, valuing unity and charity as we bear with one another in love. And so to start to think about welcome and gospel hospitality, um, we have to start with the gospel welcome we've received. The gospel welcome for us. Um, You see, there's so many passages in the Bible we could look to as we consider themes of welcome and hospitality, but the iconic text for me has always been the parable of the prodigal son. If you know that parable, it's in Luke chapter 15. Um, It reminds us of the gospel welcome we have received from the Lord and the delight uh, we should have when other lost siblings uh, come home. You may know the story Uh, There's a man with two sons, and the younger son comes to his father and shockingly says, hey, can I have my inheritance? Uh, Now, before you die, I have a use for it. Um, And surprisingly, the father uh, gives him uh, the money, he complies, and the son goes off into a far country, and he squanders everything in sin and vice, seeking pleasure. Um, And that son is you, and that son is me. Um, And what's interesting is at one point, things get so bad that the son decides to return home. He's like, maybe I can go home and at least, um, like, maybe my dad will hire me. I could be a servant or I could could work there. I could at least eat because right now I am hungry and I am desperate. And as the young son is returning home, uh, while he is still a long way off, Luke tells us that his father saw him. And he felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him, saying, bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's rejoice. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
Uh, now there's another son, the brother, the dutiful son who uh, never left home. He was always around the father, but never with him. And that son is uh, furious about the gospel welcome his brother receives. But the father loves that son too. He loves him just as much and wants him to come uh, and join in the welcome, join in the celebration. That's what gospel welcome looks like. And I'm really grateful for, uh, there's two Anglican pastors who have helped me kind of articulate this, understand this. They've teased it out. Um, Ray Ortland and Sam Albury. Um, I've mentioned this, I think maybe last fall or the fall before. Um, those two guys, Ray Ortland and Sam Albury, they have a podcast uh, called You're Not Crazy, Gospel Sanity for Young Pastors. Um, and they have a book, it kind of corresponds that you're not crazy, uh, gospel sanity for weary churches. And their basic premise is that um, in, in your average church, where we would all say we believe in salvation uh, by grace, where we believe in welcoming the prodigal home, extending gospel welcome, um, we can know that intellectually, but does it actually work itself out in practice? Does it shape our, our ethos, our, our core, who, who we are um, as a church? And, and they said, man, there's a big disconnect sometimes between our theology and our practice of understanding that God welcomes prodigals home and being a place where prodigals feel welcomed home. That can be very uh, distinct. For example, it's not uncommon um, that I'll be out and maybe at the grocery store or in town um, and I'll see somebody who hasn't been to church in a while. Sometimes I'll see them ducking around behind the end cap. I, yeah, I know, I know about that. Um, and we have various conversations when that happens. Um, sometimes it's a really pleasant welcome. Sometimes like, it's super awkward, to be honest. Um, but the, the conversation that I sometimes have that is heartbreaking um, goes something like this. Um, I'll see the person, hey, it's so good to see you. And they'll, they'll be embarrassed. And they'll immediately, sorry, I haven't been to church. I'm working on some things. And once I get things kind of straightened out, then I'll be back. And uh, I'm working on some things, trying to get my act together, and then I'll be back. You see, for me, a commitment to gospel welcome uh, means that we don't wait to get our act together. We run to the Lord we run to the church in the midst of our mess and brokenness for welcome and healing. That's what I mean by gospel welcome, gospel hospitality. Um, Sam Albury compares the welcome of gospel churches uh, to Rivendell in Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. Uh, if you know Rivendell, it's the sanctuary of the elves, and it's this uh, place that seems free from the violence and uh, the brokenness of the world around it. It's a sanctuary. It's a place of refuge and healing. And at one point um, in the Fellowship of the Ring, Frodo, the little hobbit, is stabbed with this wicked uh, poison blade. They're trying to figure out what to do, how to heal him. He's fading in and out of consciousness. They don't think he'll make it. And they say, we've got to get him to Rivendell. We've got to get him there because it's a place of rest and healing. Come when you are wounded. Come when you're dying and nearly dead. And when we talk about gospel welcome, 
Uh, it's in gospel hospitality, this isn't customer service. It's not mere marketing. It's not just good signage and polite greeters. That's part of it. That's part of good hospitality, but that's not all that it is. Um, this is not Chick-fil-A. God bless them. <laughs> this is the church of Jesus Christ. And we welcome people in his name as his people, as those who have been welcomed. When we see those prodigals coming, uh, we're delighted because we've been waiting for them and praying for them and longing for them. And when they show up, our response is glad to see you, not where have you been? That's the distinction. It's looking at those on death's doorstep spiritually and rushing them into the presence of the one who can heal them and remembering how we have been welcomed. Remembering when we were lost and how we have been found. The gospel welcome we received is the basis for the gospel welcome we extend. And that's what we see in this passage in Romans that we've selected. Romans 15, uh, 1 through 7. Um, it's fascinating because you've got the you know, beautiful scenes of welcome and hospitality really throughout the Bible. But especially there in Luke 15, um, the prodigal son. And St. Paul builds on that in Romans 15. In fact, he writes Romans 15 um, to this church in Rome torn apart by controversy and disagreement. Um, sometimes we get so, I think, <laughs> lost in the labyrinth of the first few chapters of Romans and that dense theology. Um, we don't get to these practical sections towards the end of the book where we learn that this church was a mess. Um, this church was at odds with one another. Um, they were torn apart by controversy, disagreement. Um, they were uh, confused over what was permitted and what wasn't. Uh, what should they, how should they live? What was okay? What was not okay uh, for the Christian? And so Paul is going to address this um, massive disagreement and rift in this church. And he doesn't prescribe uh, focus groups um, or mediation. He doesn't prescribe indifference or uh, mere tolerance, hey, it's okay, they'll grow up in a little bit. No. He actually prescribes gospel welcome. Gospel hospitality that bears with one another in love in beautiful, unselfish ways. Look at verses uh, 5 through 7 of Romans 15. We heard these read earlier. That May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, this is what he ends with, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Paul longed for the same kind of unity that Jesus prayed for in John 17. And he roots it in gospel welcome for one another. In the same way that we have received welcome, we should extend welcome, especially to those who are new um, or different or even infuriating to us. I mean, just imagine the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians. That is oil and water. And yet Paul says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you, and it will glorify God. The New Testament actually has a specific term uh, for holy hospitality. Um, it's a cool little Greek word, 
And the Greek word is philoxenia, which literally means love of the outsider, love of the stranger. Um, it's the exact opposite of another term, xenophobia. You might have learned about that in social studies when you were younger. Xenophobia is what? Fear of the other, fear of the outsider. Paul prescribes the opposite. Philoxenia, love of the other, love of the stranger, love of the one who is different uh, from us. It's in stark contrast. And so we delight to have God bring together the kind of community that forces us to pursue unity because we don't naturally get along. (laughs) We actually have to have the Holy Spirit come into our midst and sew us together um, as brothers and sisters in Christ, a unity um, that extends beyond uh, just liking one another or being like one another. It's interesting. We delight to have God bring that together here at St. Thomas. Um, and really, that's a unity that, that extends. That's a unity that extends to our broader um, diocese, this family of churches all around the world, and even locally, um, how we welcome and rejoice in the work of other churches in our city our brothers and sisters in the Lord who are part of other traditions. As I was thinking about this idea of welcome and hospitality, um, I remember there's, a, there's an ancient Christian manual of spirituality um, called the Rule of St. Benedict. You might know the Rule of St. Benedict. It spawned all of these monasteries um, throughout Europe and all over the world. And in that manual, it includes a job description, um, instructions for a very unusual role in a monastery. And it's how you should carry out the job of a porter. Do you know what a porter is? A porter was the one who answered the door. And I love the role and the mentality of the porter, the doorkeeper, and how St. Benedict describes it. It says, the porter's job was and is to open the door whenever anyone knocked. A contemporary author notes, The way we answer doors is the way we deal with the world. The porter is expectant. The porter is proactive regarding new guests and new visitors. Uh, The porter actually, when it was their turn, they would sleep right by the entrance of the monastery. That way, if anybody came, they could respond immediately uh, to welcome them. And so if a knock came on the door... Um, they were to welcome them with all the gentleness that comes from the reverence of God. And someone would knock, and they would say, thanks be to God. Your blessing, please. I'll be honest, I don't answer the door that way. (laughs) I'm like, what are you selling? (laughs) I don't want any. My dog barks, it's it's a whole scene. But you get the idea. Knocks at the door. Your thanks be to God, your blessing, please. And they don't even know who's there. They're excited to see who God has sent. And the part of their job is to wake everybody up. If it's in the night, say, hey, let's come and join in the welcome together. We're so excited about this new person um, who has come. There's a priority in caring for the visitor as a guest, making space for them. And friends, that kind of gospel welcome, that kind of attentiveness to guests um, is not just for monasteries. Um, It's for all churches, all Christian communities. Um, To be honest, that's a key reason that we are leaving this beautiful chapel 
um, to move somewhere bigger so that we have more room, so that we have more seats so that we can welcome folks as the Lord has welcomed us, um, to make room for those that the Lord is sending and the Lord wants to bring. See, a commitment to gospel welcome and gospel hospitality where we value unity, we value charity as we bear with one another in love shapes a particular kind of church community. Um, And honestly, it's the kind of community that I want to be part of. It's the kind of church I think Athens and this greater area needs where the gospel can be clearly seen in a way that glorifies the Lord. This doesn't mean, by the way... (laughs) that this is the perfect community or perfect church or that we're trying to compare ourselves to other congregations. Um, And the Lord's wisdom, he is using lots of different churches to reach lots of different people um, in Athens and the surrounding areas. We are on uh, the same team. Each one having our own strengths and weaknesses, our own unique calling under God. Um, We have our strengths and weaknesses like they do. This is not idealism. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German Christian, in his book, Life Together, um, warns against idealism regarding Christian community and church. Here's what he writes. Christian community is not an idea we have to realize, but rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. The more clearly we learn to recognize that the ground and strength and promise of all our community is in Jesus Christ alone, the more calmly we will learn to think about our church and pray and hope for it. See, we don't have to grit our teeth and try and be hospitable. And we don't have to grit our teeth and try to welcome. Instead, we focus on the gospel welcome we have received, the reality that creates and we can participate in um, together. And so then if you're part of that kind of church community, then that does commit you to a a way of life, a way of welcome, a way of hospitality. Uh, Some of you know Eugene Peterson, um, who is a Presbyterian minister. He he wrote the paraphrase, The Message. Um, He's well known for that, but his writing on pastoral ministry and church life is phenomenal. Um, And even more phenomenal than Eugene um, was his wife, (laughs) who was incredibly insightful. Um, Here's what she once said about being part of a church. Um, with all of the realism of a pastor's spouse. says, being a church member is a vocation, a way of life. It means participation in an intricate web of hospitality, living at the intersection of human need and God's grace, inhabiting a community where men and women who don't fit are welcome, where neglected children are noticed, where the stories of Jesus are told and people who have no story find that they do have stories, stories that are part of the Jesus story. So being a church member places us strategically yet unobtrusively at a heavily trafficked intersection between heaven and earth. One of my favorite images of the church um, relates to this idea of gospel welcome. The playful example of Rivendell And that is that the church uh, is an embassy, an embassy, an outpost of the kingdom. Think about this for just a moment. We're we're almost uh, through this morning. Uh, But the idea of an embassy um, is is beautiful. 
You see, an embassy exists um, as part of one country and another country. And it exists there um, to be a representative of its home country for the sake of that foreign land. Um, And then second, if you are in that foreign land and you are a citizen of the home country, well, when things go wrong, where do you run? You run to the embassy. And when things are weird and unfamiliar and the language is different and the culture is weird and the food is strange, well, you go to the embassy. And it's familiar. And it's home. And it's a taste of home. And it's a foretaste of our true home. I've often thought of the church in this way because when we come into church, it's like that. We we leave the the language of the world. We leave the the way of the world and its values um, and the way it shapes us. And we can come in and we can be ourselves, our true selves, ourselves in in Christ and dwell by the Spirit. And we can come here and be at home. We are free to come as ourselves and drop all the pretensions and the ways of the world when we come in. Because this, the church, is a colony of heaven, an outpost of the kingdom of God in the midst of a hard world. So when you are here, you are welcome, most welcome. And when you are here, you can find rest and healing. And when you are here, um, you can receive nourishment. And you can receive what you need to be sent back into the world uh, that we have been called to serve on behalf of the Lord. And it just makes me ask, are we a church uh, for those who have it all figured out? Or will we, by God's grace, be this kind of church of gospel welcome and gospel hospitality? Will, be a, will we be a church for uh, people who we like and who are like us? Or will we do the hard work of striving for unity and charity in the midst of difference, bearing with one another in love. Um, my friends, I love this church. <laughs> I love what God has done. I love what God is doing. I love what I see ahead for us. Um, I'm excited about the mission ahead. And that's why I want to take some time to just kind of clarify, this is who God is calling us to be, to lean into these values, uh, these commitments together. Um, and I want to close with something. I, my understanding is that there's a sign uh, on the building of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. Um, and on the sign, here's what it says. To all who are weary and need rest. To all who mourn and long for comfort. To all who fail and desire strength. To all who sin and need a savior. This church opens wide her doors with a welcome from Jesus the friend of sinners. And so by God's grace and in response to his grace, um, we value and commit to this kind of welcome, gospel hospitality, valuing unity, valuing charity, and bearing with one another in love. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.